Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Buchanan, investment advisor, portfolio manager, and retirement planner extraordinaire, downloading viruses of pathological optimism and investment insights straight from my brain to yours. This is a podcast I'm really going to enjoy. It is the podcast on recognizing useless financial news when you see it. We are going to look at how you can tell if an article is going to be filled with unhealthy misinformation or if it actually has something that can benefit you in it. Hopefully, after we're done, you will be able to laugh, as I do, when you see these articles in the future, knowing how silly some of the things that they claim to know or say or be able to tell you about the future really are. So, for regulatory compliance reasons, I have to tell you that anything you hear today is not intended to be person-specific financial advice. Always consult your financial advisor, whether it is with us, at Dutch Asset, or elsewhere before making investment decisions. Any mentions of specific companies are not intended to be recommendations to buy or sell, but rather anecdotes meant to convey a message or takeaway that may or may not be relevant to your specific situation. Now, before we start, I want to tell you how I actually went about jotting notes for this podcast. I didn't have to search long or hard, or even spend much time brainstorming on where to look. Unhelpful financial news is everywhere. All I had to do was open up major publications, major financial news publications, look at their main pages, and go through articles. What you see most times, and I mean over 50%, in the financial news media is not as valuable as it may seem. They are not articles that are worth reading, and the information ranges from unhelpful to actually misleading. And if you don't learn how to differentiate between what is helpful and what is unhelpful, your portfolio is going to be ill. And, as I said, this stuff is everywhere. So, Here are some examples of news articles that are not as useful as they may first appear. FYI, I am not actually going to be naming which news organizations uh, these come from because the reality is that financial news is 10 times better than normal news, and sometimes they have great stuff. But what we're talking uh, talking about here today is uh, only the things that are not useful and how do you identify those things. But anyway, article number one, Feds Fisher warns that Trump's changes to bank reforms could be, and I quote, very dangerous. Anytime you hear the word very dangerous, just skip over it. After the market bottomed in 2009, every single article in the financial news was about how poor the economic recovery was going, how each and every economic statistic that came out indicated the financial or indicated the future would continue to be perilous for investors. They had the same negative news baloney all the time. And they still do to this day. Meanwhile, the stock market has tripled in value. The reality is nobody knows what is dangerous. The Fed thought the housing market was completely sound until it fell apart. People especially professional and news commentators, by and large, thought tech companies were going to take over the world, talking about the late 90s, until they collapsed. People thought emerging markets were the greatest thing ever and were soon going to have a bunch of the largest companies on earth until their stocks went nowhere for 10 years and running, and they still are today. So 
people, especially so-called experts, have just as little idea about what is dangerous and what isn't dangerous to the financial system as you do. When I hear the word danger, I think bear in the woods that can kill me or nuclear bomb that's about to get dropped on my head. That's what danger means. It means get out of town, run, leave, skedaddle. So when you hear the, someone use the word danger when it comes to financial markets, the implication is that you should be thinking about selling whatever you have in your portfolio, reducing risk, etc. But that's just not right. Your investment process should be completely independent of what people think and say about the economy. Nobody knows what the future holds, and your investment process should be designed around that understanding. Again, nobody knows what the future holds. On average, what the future will do in terms of market returns is what it has always done on average. We don't just have market data going back a year or two years or five years or ten years. We have market data for hundreds of years. On average, the market goes up, and it goes up somewhere between 7 and 9% over any very long period of time. So what you do is you sell stocks if they get super expensive relative to all of the alternatives out there. What you do is if... Bonds someday have 8% yields again and inflation is still low. Sell some stocks and put money in bonds because 8% is an attractive rate of return. But you don't sell stocks because somebody on TV who claims to be an expert and claims to be able to predict the future says that something out there is dangerous. Okay, here's another article. Expert pinpoints the origins of the market's bullish surge. Every time you hear someone say something like pinpoint, you know to watch out. Let's run through a hypothetical. Here are two situations. First, the market goes down 2,000 points the previous week. This week, it goes up 500 points. This expert tells you he can explain the origins of the market's bullish surge. He goes on to explain, like in the article I'm looking at right now, that the surge is due to a bunch of wonderful earnings out of companies that are reporting Amex is doing well, Google is doing well, and even the economy is doing well. So this surge, ladies and gentlemen, is due, as he claims, to all of this good news coming out. Okay? That was situation number one. Market was down 2,000 points last week, up 500 points this week. Net move down 1,500 points. Situation number two. The market went up 2,000 points last week, and then it goes up another 500 points this week. The exact same article comes out from the exact same expert. And he claims he can explain the origins of the market's bullish surge. As with the previous situation, we're talking about the same 500-point up move this week. So he goes on to explain that the surge is due to a bunch of wonderful earnings coming out of companies that are reporting. Amex is doing well. Google is doing well. Even the economy is doing well. So this surge is due to, as he claims, all of this good news. Remember, it was the same exact situation this week. But in one case, last week, the market was down 2,000 points. Versus, in the other case, it was up 2,000 points last week. This expert would write the exact same article with the exact same explanation, even though the market now finds itself up 2,500 points in one situation and down 1,500 points in the other situation over the exact same period of time. The reality is, while commentators across the financial news media try to explain why what happens is happening, they do it in a vacuum. You can never know why stocks went up this week or why they went down last week. What you can know is that stocks dropped 50% during the financial crisis because everyone was scared out of their wits that the economy was doomed. But 
that type of information plays out over a very long period of time. And even to this day, to be honest, people are still trying to figure out exactly how things went down during the financial crisis. But to clarify the point, it cannot possibly be useful information to have the exact same explanation for something in two scenarios where the market finds itself with a 4,000 point difference. Again, instead of losing 1,500 points, it was up 2,500, but the articles are exactly the same, telling you exactly the same reasons about why it went up 500 points recently. I hope this makes sense. Financial news oftentimes regurgitates the same overused and hardly useful explanations all the time. Some of these articles could practically be written by programs. The program just talks about what happened today, whether it's earnings or economic or political data, and then they say the market moved like it did because of all of those things that happened today. So. What's really valuable is understanding that if the market is up 2,500 instead of down 1,500, it is probably more expensive today than it was then. That's about all you can know. Okay, next article. There are several reasons behind today's rally. Okay, this is just like the article previously. They're going to list five reasons that all sound logical. They are going to be eloquently written. But guess what the implication is of writing an article that says this rally is justified by five reasons? The implication is that the market should keep on going up, right? If the rally that just happened is justified, doesn't that mean they think it should continue being justified? What happens if tomorrow the market tanks? Well, you will not believe how many times I see an article that talks about how a rally is justified one day, and then the next day the market tanks, and they explain the five reasons why the market tanked. Obviously, this information can't be helpful. Now, some major financial news organizations might claim, if they are honest, that they are only explaining why the market did what it did and that you, dear investor, shouldn't derive expectations about the future from them telling you why what happened today happened. But in that case, what is the use of any of these articles? Funny anecdote. Back in the days of heightened volatility, which was basically from 2008 to 2011, the market would be up 200 points in the morning, and every article I would read on financial news media would be talking about how great things were. Commentators they interviewed would be universally bullish, and they would be explaining why they expected the strength to continue. Then that same day, the market would fall 400 points in the afternoon. It would go from a gain of 200 to a loss of 200. And they would bring out new commentators that would explain why it made sense now that the market was falling. And those commentators would tell you they expected the pain to continue. So, net-net, do not pay attention to people who are trying to tell you why the market is doing something or why it is about to do something. It is not useful information, and it will get you into trouble. Okay, here's another article. Quote, trades to make as the retail sector pops. Okay, this is the rule to listen to here. If anybody tells you trades to make because of X or anything about trades to make, period, run. People do not make money trading. If they did, if the commentators did, if hedge funds did, if mutual funds did, we would see their published results somewhere. There would be some successful fund who outlined that as the strategy they used. Or the commentators on TV would put up the chart showing all of their historical performance based on the trades that they recommend. They don't publish that information because it doesn't exist. So, 
let me outline another problem with this type of advice. So they say trades to make if X happens, but when do you sell? Assuming they actually have a good trading idea, which I don't really think that you can have a good trading idea, but assume you did, when do you get out? The more important thing than when you get in is what do you do after you get in? As I have said in other podcasts and will continue repeating for the rest of my life, never buy anything where you don't know what you're going to do if it drops 50%. The best way to be confident about how you would act is to only buy companies who are super solid businesses whose price is likely to go up over a very long period of time. If you get in for a, quote, trade, then you are in the company for the wrong reason in the first place. You should be buying companies because they're profitable, world-class, leader in the space, because five to ten years from now, it is still going to be around making money. You don't buy a company because something about earnings is going to make it pop next week. So, again, trading, in my opinion, does not work for anybody other than the best hedge funds on earth and computer algorithms. Day trading... My opinion is a fool's game that nobody wins. If it worked, we would see published results from somebody, but we don't. Okay, next article. McDonald's shares should jump 15% in the next year on new burgers, better food menu, analyst says. The problem with every single article like this is that they are predicting a price movement based on things happening in the business without regard to where the stock is actually trading today. Let's look at a hypothetical. What if Apple was selling for $1? Seriously, I mean, what if the entire company was selling for just $1? Apple makes $60 billion about in profit per year, but you can buy the whole company for $1. That would be a steal. Obviously, anybody would buy it. But the more, in question is, the more important question is, why would they buy it? Why are you buying Apple for $1? Is it because Apple's going to sell more iPhones next year? Is it because you expect their profit margins to go up next year? Is it because you expect more Chinese people to buy iPhones next year? No, obviously it isn't. The reason you're buying Apple for a dollar is because you're buying the whole freaking company for a dollar and they make $60 billion a year. So... Probably 90% or more of the articles you will read on why you should buy some stock tell you that you should buy it because of things the analyst or whoever expects to happen in the future. But they don't even talk about the price of the stock today in terms of its valuation. This is the same thing as trying to explain to somebody that the reason you should buy Apple for $1 is because they're going to sell more iPhones next year. The real reason you should buy Apple for $1 is because the business is worth a truckload more than $1. Further, the reality is nobody knows what information is already priced into a stock. If somebody is on some news channel explaining all of their thoughts on why Apple should go up, rest assured that information is now easy to come by and probably already was. It is not a secret. The expectations about the things that analysts lay out are probably already known by everyone. So, something to consider. This is a fact. What moves a stock's price over time, by definition, is an adjustment of investor expectations regarding the future cash flows of a company. But nobody knows what about those future expectations is already priced into the company today. 
So what you can know is if Apple is selling for a dollar and it makes $50 billion a year, it's a good buy. You can know that if a stock is trading at a huge discount to the market and it is a great profitable business like Coca-Cola, it's a good buy. You can know that if great companies sell at super cheap prices, then over time, the market's expectations will probably go back to being rational and the company's price will probably go up. <laughs> okay, this is fantastic. Literally, as I am sitting here taking notes for this podcast, a new article popped up that says, quote, stocks slip as worries over the French election dampen in earnings enthusiasm. Oh boy, give me a break. This is ridiculous. This is almost as good as everyone thinking the whole world was going to collapse over Greece. Let me tell you how many people on earth know how the French election will impact markets. Zero. And once again, just as in the previous example, they talk about how stocks are moving independently from addressing their valuations. What if the market had dropped 20% last week? Then if stocks go down today, is it still because of the French election? What if they had gone up 20% last week? Then, if they drop today, is it still because of the French election? Funny anecdote for you. Hillary Clinton's son-in-law, Chelsea Clinton's husband, is a hedge fund manager, and he's got one of the worst track records on the planet. Uh, of the two funds I'm aware of, one of them had an annual growth rate of around 2%, which means he basically did little more than keep up with inflation, and he shut down that fund as soon as he lost the election. And he had another fund, which was organized to invest in Greek debt and other distressed European assets. When he opened that fund, he got money, presumably because everybody thought that Hillary Clinton would be able to feed him information regarding the likelihood of Greece actually defaulting, or whether the IMF was going to bail them out, or whether the ECB was going to get support from Germany to do something. So he literally was in a position to have insider information that nobody on earth could get. Even with all that, his Greek hedge fund still went down after, or still shut down after dropping over 50%. So if Hillary Clinton is Secretary of State, who can call the head of our Treasury, the head of the ECB, uh, the head of wherever, on their cell phones, if she cannot feed useful information to her son-in-law about the likelihood of anything happening in Greece, then you know how silly it is that anybody can really uh, take the idea that the French election is doing X, ergo, market should do Y in the future and turn that into useful information. Uh, okay, here is one more gem from one of the biggest financial news companies on earth to close out the podcast. France's two-round electoral system spells period of volatility for markets. Let me ask you a question. What is that title supposed to do? Why do they say things like spells period of volatility? Well, in my opinion, they're doing it because... They know that this clickbait is going to get people who don't know any better, people that don't listen to this podcast, to click on the article to find out how this super secret information that nobody knows. I mean, well, actually, everybody knows because it's in the uh, major news publication. So <laughs> they know that this clickbait is going to get people to open the article because they are afraid of volatility. That's what's really going on. They are afraid of volatility because everybody tells them volatility is bad. Everybody is trained to think volatility is bad. So, by association, if the market is going to get volatile, you should be selling something. You should be de-risking. But that's just not right. The reality is volatility is a fantastic thing for anybody with common financial sense because it gives you opportunities to buy good businesses at good prices.
So stay away from articles like we have gone over here. Or if you think you have the mental fortitude, read them with care and see if you can start to identify on your own when something is useful and when it is probably a little bit of financial garbage. <laughs>